Hello, good morning and welcome to the Football Daily uh, Digest podcast. It's that time of week again where we dissect and digest the, the happenings of, of, the, of the last week or so and look forward also to this weekend's fixtures. Joining me this week, it, uh, as per usual, the gang's all here um, in illustrious company of, of Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star and Matt Dunn, Football aficionado of the Daily Express. <laughs> Guys, it's been a busy week, isn't it? So we'll reflect upon England, uh, the end of uh, the Nations League campaign. What did we learn? Um, we learned that Phil Foden's going to be a bit special, didn't we? Certainly. And also looking forward, I think, uh, to this weekend's got uh, games, got some really special fixtures coming up. Um, you know, Tottenham, Man City, a Tottenham, the real deal. Uh, we'll be asking that. Uh, we'll probably find out a, a little bit more about that against Man City. And then also a really eye-catching game. Um, Liverpool facing so many problems and so many obstacles right now uh, against Leicester on, on Sunday. So that will be a fascinating game. But I'm actually going to kick off, guys, with just the, the fallout um, from England, um, really. I, I, I mean, it, you know, most of us were at the game last night Um what do we what do we think of the performance and the international camp overall? It's taken a lot of battering, Andy, hasn't it? Really, over the last uh, over the last couple of weeks or so. Yeah, it has. It's taken a battering. You know, this this always happens, and even more so now when people see the physical struggles of the players are having um, during this season because of uh, the pandemic reasons and the and the fixture logjam. So people are inclined to sort of say well what's the point of the, of the of these internationals particularly as obviously last night was was essentially a dead rubber and also in particular the friendly that we have at the start of these um, three games you know people say what's the point well we know what the point is to, it's to fulfill tv contracts you know the fa needs money as well but at the end of it when it's all said and done um i think gareth southgate and i think we can all say it was a very very worthwhile international break you know, I mean, for a start off, you know, Jack Grealish went into this international break, essentially still on trial in Gareth Southgate's eyes. You, you sense that he still wasn't totally convinced. He's come out of these three games. He started all three and he's come out of now as maybe, maybe England's most important player. Certainly the player that you can't imagine not being in the starting 11. We know that Phil Foden's now, now a talent. You know, we've seen Harry Maguire sort of, you know, settle back down in the two games that he played. So it's been very, very worthwhile for for Southgate. And, you know, if you take them just at what they are, which is stepping stones and building blocks towards Euro 2020 in 21, then they are worthwhile. Gareth Southgate will have learned things. He will have learned that maybe Mason Mount and Grealish can play in the same um, team. Um, he can probably learn that, um, I say that the Foden, he already knew, is, is a supreme talent that he can that he has got to somehow get into that side um, for 2020. He will also have learned that, I don't know, he will go away, I think, and look, is this still the way forward, this 3-4-3 formation? So I just think that if we take them for what they are, which is stage and post towards the ultimate aim, which is success at Euro 2020, then they've been very worthwhile. Do you know what, Jezza? I I keep on hearing the same people that are championing Jack Grealish um, and saying what an amazing talent is that you can tell why I've come to you on this question, Jez, haven't you? Um, but basically, um, are, are the same ones saying that internationals are absolutely pointless, international friendlies are an absolute waste of time. I thought, you know, Andy, I think, raised it the other day as well. Um, you know, if international friendlies and internationals are that pointless, 
how come we, we you know we promoted Jack Grealish and also indeed Connor Cody, who I think is arguably in my Euro starting eleven now. You know, do, 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 do you get the point I mean? I mean, and, and yeah. there's so much negativity. I love the fact the other day, I think Gareth, Gareth put away a journalist the other day asking about, you know, kind of what does it all mean? Does it really matter? And I just love the way you put him away, to be honest. Yeah. Well, look, you know, this this argument about international friendlies is um, it's strong at the minute for those who champion against it because of the current circumstance with the COVID, you know, obviously players are struggling with injuries like Dunne referred to. Mm. We've just played an extra game. So we've played three games instead of two. Um, and people will argue, is it necessary? Um, maybe could England have had a training camp instead of playing the Republic of Ireland? Um, they had to fulfil last night's game, obviously, because it was a Nations League game, even though there was nothing at stake. But yeah, you're totally right. Look, we... we Southgate's learned so much about Grealish in particular, who Dunny's referred to earlier. And, you know, we know we now know he is a wonderful player at international level who can who can produce the same form for England that he can for Villa. So that's a huge plus for Southgate. And look, yeah, we all know players are under under a lot of pressure. They're being used as pieces of meat, you know, really, um, at the current in the current climate. But playing for your country is the ultimate, ultimate accolade. And, you know, the Euros are seven, eight months away. So this this has been such an important two weeks for Southgate in terms of preparation. And, you know, look, he, yeah, he put away a journalist on that subject. And he's also, you know, I think he proved last night that he stuck two fingers up to the managers, club managers, who have clearly been leaning on him to rest players or give players less game time. Harry Kane, for one, because, you know, he... Um, he named a, full, a strong side last night and I just looked at the, as soon as I saw the sideline, I thought that's Southgate making a point to people like Mourinho who clearly want Kane to be, you know, rested for last night. He played 75 minutes, 76 minutes. So, you know, good on Southgate. He's got, he's, he, his job is to win a major tournament for England and, you know, he has to be selfish and I'm, I'm glad he was last night. Yeah. Matt, I think you were on the, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're on the kind of the press conference Zoom call that we that, that we get in, in you know streamed into our into our uh, laptops in the Wembley press box, weren't you? Um, uh, I wasn't on the, yeah. the live one. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. No, okay. I missed I just, that. I actually no. thought he had some very interesting points um, to 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 make, Gareth, on on basically on the um, on on kind of September internationals not taking you know shouldn't have taken place. Frustrations mm. over testing, lack of staff testing. Um, you, you know, basically, hopefully, be in better shape um, by 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 March. But he was again sort of kind of referring to this new generation. It feels like a passing moment in time. Obviously, full of praise um, for Phil Foden. Does it feel like that this team is evolving, Matt, ahead of the ahead of the Euros? Oh, of course it does. Um, you know, I'm sitting down today and looking at. Um, what team we might have sent to the Euros just last summer uh, and what team we're likely to send next summer. Uh, and it's a world of difference. It's like you say, Phil Foden hadn't played um, for England uh, at the time when Euro 2020 should have taken place. Jack Grealish, likewise. And these are now key players. Um, yeah, other fringe players like Saka hadn't mm. uh, figured. Uh, as um, Southgate himself mentioned, uh, you know, 10 debutants this this autumn. Um, uh, and you know what, what happened to the World Cup squad of 2018? Mm. There's a few stalwarts still there. Um, you know, Pickford, Pickford, 
uh, Maguire, Dyer, uh, Kane, but around them, you know, it's a bunch of youngsters, and that mm. bodes well for the future. I mean, it does. It's constantly been evolving. <laughs> Trippier, Trippier as well. Um, Trippier, of course, yes. But when came back again, yeah, exactly. You, you know what? I, that's you, you mentioned all those youngsters, and I'm just sitting down now. Um, Going to write a column for tomorrow, and the phrase "I can't get away from it." I can't get away from it. It's been we keep doing it, keep doing it, and I'm going to do it again. The golden generation. <laughs> yeah. just, just, you can't get away. I keep thinking, no, don't use that phrase. Don't ever use that phrase again. But you just can't get away from it. How could you? Yeah, tell us who's, who's the who's the golden generation? Because we, oh, you know, everyone knows the, the previous one. But who's the golden generation? Oh, this this golden this golden generation was on display last night. This golden generation is Phil Foden. It's Mason Mount. It's although he's a little bit older than those guys. Jack Grealish. It's Bakayu Saka. You know, it's Mason Greenwood. You know, we're forgetting that he wasn't in the squad, and and, and he's seen it as, as, as one Rashford. of the one of the brightest talents. Yeah. It's Marcus Rashford who's almost a, a senior statesman of the golden generation. You know, I just think it's it's incredibly exciting, and and, and you know, you, you think to yourself, well, no, look, you know, let's go carried away because after all, don't forget, we, we did only finish third in our nations league group behind Belgium and Denmark. You know, and and, and you know, it was Iceland. It was ten man Iceland in the end. And with 11 men, they weren't very good. With 10 men, they were desperate. So, you know, yes, I keep the voice in the back of the head keeps saying, don't get carried away. But listen, if you can't get carried away watching players of the talents of yeah. Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, and Mason Mount, and Saka, then, then what are you in the business for? The interesting yeah, thing will be, Crossy, obviously we don't see them play again until March when the World Cup qualifiers start, which is a really weird scenario, given that their World Cup qualifiers before a, a European mm. Championship. So Southgate will have to play his strongest team that he thinks is his strongest team in March, which will could be a good thing in a way because you know you'll see maybe see what he's thinking is for the for the Euros, but the the problem he's got between now and next summer is especially in attack or in those attacking front third of the positions. How what formula does he go yeah. with? What and how, who does he pick? Because you've got Sterling. You don't even mention Sterling, mm. who's a nailed on. Starter mm. for, for me if he's fit. You've got Rashford, you've got Grealish, you've got Harry Kane, you've got Jaden Sancho. We didn't mention him. Yeah. He's not been in great form, granted, but we all know he's going to be a worthy. You know, what, what does he do? But the key in there, Jez, is what you, it's a phrase you mentioned if he's fit. I mean, yeah. we're not making a song and dance about it because it is only Iceland and it's a dead rubber. But as it stands, I think nine of what would be Southgate's squad for Euro 2020 are injured or unavailable to him. That's, you know, that's nearly half a squad. Uh, I mean, that's how ridiculous the situation is with all the injuries that are going on and the COVID situation. And he knows that in March, he's going to have to pick the best team that are available to him. Mm. And that's what's exciting about this England squad at the moment is it's got a lot more depth. So mm. if we do miss a few key players, we've yeah. now got a plan B. We've got players who can step in and actually still do a job. Uh, and, other countries, you know, we always seem to think it's just the Premier League are getting injuries. Presumably, they get injuries abroad as well, even with their five substitutes. You know, other countries are going to be in that situation. And you start scratching below the surface of that Belgium team, for instance, and there isn't a great deal of strength in depth. Uh, and I think going into a Euros at the end of a long season that we've had all across the continent, I think we're in pretty good shape. Mm. And Andy, I think down, down the last 20 years or, or, or so, 
you know, particularly sort of a, a tip of that, really, to uh, to the legendary and, uh, and wonderful and late uh, Brian Warno. Really, he used mm. to sit at, the, sit at the, the the front of every press conference, building up to every major tournament, and you know, ask you know six or seven England different England managers down the years, is it time to deliver? Yes, um, you know, it became <laughs> such a cliched old question, didn't it? And and one we used to laugh with Woolley about. But it, you know, that that's the issue, isn't it? it uh, you can only have so many excuses about injuries when you're hosting and, and when you're hyping up the, uh, up the Euros. But also, why will it be different, do you, do, do you think, you know, for this particular golden generation to the one of, you know, of the of the mid-noughties? I, I, I just get the feeling with this generation, you, you see a, I mean, speaking to, we, we spoke on Zoom last night um, to Bakayo Saka mm. and you know the confidence these guys have without it being arrogance is incredible you know I, mm. I find them I find okay listen Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood had their indiscretion in Reykjavik but I find their attitude the whole this generation's attitude um, typified by Saka certainly typified by Mason Mount you know to be incredibly mature you know they're very very confident boys you know very very confident without being arrogant you know, they believe in their own ability. That is, um, and they have, they seem to have a, a work ethic that is, that is second to none. I just like everything about them. I just, I just like the way they, you know, they, they seem to have been, and this is where I think, you know, the academy system does its job. It's where I think St. George's Park, for those who, who've come through that system, where that's done its job. I think we're rearing very good all round footballers and characters. And that's what, that's what these guys strike me as. You know, don't forget, they, they, you know, a couple of them have also had success. At junior level, you know, mm. Phil Foden scored a goal in a World Cup final um, at under 17 level. So, you know, these guys know what it's about. I just, you know, I am just impressed all round with their um, with their maturity. Um, and as for injuries, you know, I mean, listen, there's a few injuries this time around, but it's nothing, you know, Rashford will soon be back. Sterling mm. will, will, won't will be far off. You know, Ward Prowse that was missing from this squad, he'll probably play at the weekend. You know, there's, there's, I don't think it's a... I do think there's a there's a temptation to get you know doom and gloom about injuries before they even happen. You know you will get. There's no reason that English players should be any different from any other countries' players. You know there will be injuries. There will be. There's probably an average, isn't it? There'll probably be two or three. Maybe if you're unlucky, maybe two automatic choices missing through injury, and then the rest of them, you, you think, well, you, you know, they might be injured, but they might not have been in the squad anyway. So I wouldn't get too I wouldn't get too concerned about that at all. No, Jezo, I think I think Saka is a really interesting case in point, isn't he? Because, you know, if you look at it, mm. I'll be honest, I wasn't, I, I'm, I'm still not quite sure whether, you know, about him as, as, as a left wing back. But now, as Nath sees the opportunity, he's super, please don't get me wrong, he's super going forward. His stats are, are remarkable. And his, his decision making, his maturity on the pitch is fantastic. But it's, he's just one of those. Where I don't think anyone would, would put him in there kind of, you know, couple of months ago would put him in a potential starting 11 for the, for the Euros but what an example to absolutely everyone um, you know about how you can seize an opportunity yeah look he's, he's you've obviously seen him play for Arsenal more than I have but he's clearly he reminds me a bit of Ashley Cole actually he's you just I remember first seeing Ashley Cole I think he played for Arsenal at Bradford it was one of his first ever games and Bradford in the Premier League obviously they're going back a long time now but it's just one of those players where you just saw Cole play that day and you thought, this kid's going to be a really special player. And that you get the same feeling. Saka, he's very confident, you know, he sort of plays with this sort of stature that he shouldn't really have at his tender age and nothing seems to phase him, you know. I mean, not too long ago, players of that age 
if they did get called up by England, they'd freeze. They'd absolutely mm. look scared to death. But I think a lot of credit has to go to Southgate. He's changed the culture of the England team. You know, players are a lot more outspoken, confident in themselves, express themselves more. And Saka's a reflection of that culture that Southgate has sort of embedded in the squad since he, since he became the manager four years ago. So... Look, Saka's going to be a great player and he's got a great opportunity, really, because there's only Chilwell, really, between him and, you know, nailing down that that place on the left, whatever role that might be. But he's he's got, obviously, the great engine to be a, a wing-back if Southgate wants him to play in that role. So, you know, I'd be very surprised if he... I mean, he's only going to get better as well than he with experience and age. So he's, he's virtually got his place in the squad already, I think, for next summer. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Matt looking overall at uh, the um, you know the, the, this latest uh, international camp, you know we have now obviously got this date in the diary: England, Scotland, on on the back of this. <laughs> I mean, how special w- w- will that be? Um, I mean, you know, it's been mixed fortunes, isn't it, for the for the other home nations in in, in the sort of the Nations League as well. But but the England Scotland game is going to be really something, isn't it? Oh, please, God, let there be fans in there, because I think that's what's going to make it special. Um, That's the disappointment you hear from Welsh fans about the recent friendly, is it just didn't feel like an occasion behind closed doors. So let's all pray that that fans come down in enough numbers to to make Wembley, you know, resound to the noise of excitement again, rather than just hollow shouts and and, um, a few choice language, (laughs) a bit of choice language. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's always the same for whatever reason. You know, from the two-all draw recently, um, back to Gaza's goal, there's always something about that game. Uh, and yeah, and, it, and I think it just makes, you know, Euro 2020 even more mouth-watering for, for the delay that we've had to get there. Mm. Uh, Andy, are we getting carried away with ourselves to say that England should be really red-hot favourites for this? For that particular game? Yeah. Oh no, no, they should be favourites. They should be half favourites to that particular game. I mean, there's just you know, there's no getting away from that. You look at the at the personnel mm-hmm. available to Gareth Southgate and the personnel available to Steve Clark, and you know, th- there is a gap. There's, there's, but you know, that's a gap that can be bridged by and and Scotland have done it before by sheer endeavour, by determination, by spirit. You know, and they have got good players and they have shown marked improvements under Clark. You know, it was a poor result, obviously, last night. A shame they couldn't get into that top tier of the Nations League, but you know I don't think we're going to see the Nations League now, are we? Until 2022 now, I think. I'm, I think it's June 2022 we start again with that. Um, so, so yes, they can bridge that gap, but but clearly on paper, you, you know, strip away the emotions of the game and and the history of the game and the hype of the game, strip that away, and England's current squad should should be able to beat you know Scotland's squad. They will be huge odds on favourites mm. and and deservedly. So, and that's the way they will look at it. They'll also be very familiar with um, with their opposition. And at Wembley, you know, you, you strip it all away, and you'd have to think that England will be looking at that to be thinking, well, if we don't get three points in that game, then that's going to be an opportunity that we've let slip through our grasp. Yeah. Tell you what, Crossy, um, mm. just, just to add to that, Scotland's best hope might be, might be ironically, if fans are allowed back into Wembley, because mm. although it sounds crazy because it's at Wembley, and England would have the majority of support. You just imagine if Scotland played England at Wembley in front of a full house. It won't, obviously, it won't be a full house, but you know, if if it did, it'd be, it'd be. I think it'd be a leveler, and um, you know, it'd be um, a lot closer to core. But behind 
um, closed doors, you'd fancy England to win that quite comfortably. Yeah, no, absolutely. Matt, one of the one of the knock-on effects and big discussion points, I mean, it's relevant to the international camp and also looking ahead to this weekend, has been while, while we've had the internationals, the raft and the increase of, of positive coronavirus cases has been alarming, hasn't it, really? We've seen big names, you know, Salah, um, uh, you, you know, failed a couple of tests. He's still in Egypt, not able to fly home. You know, El Nenny for Arsenal, um, you know, various names, um, you know, Matt Doherty for, for Spurs out of this out of this weekend's game. There's been, you know, so many, a, a record high, weekly high in Premier League terms, and that doesn't even include the internationals. How concerned should we be? And do you think it is, you know, purely and simply down to the internationals? Oh, no, I don't. Well, partly it's internationals because you're coming into contact with different people and different protocols. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, it was interesting, Southgate paying such tribute to his staff about how they've managed to keep themselves healthy. Um, but there is an element of fortune involved in it because you can't control every aspect of your life. It's called a pandemic because it affects us all. Um, it's, it's all around the world at the moment. Um, it, it's in every corner of society. You can just be unlucky. Um, you, know, you can be as careful as, as you can. But it, it, you know, but when it's pervading that those tight bubbles that, that the Premier League players have set up and the Premier League clubs have set up around themselves, you realise just you know, how dangerous this disease is. Um, football's ploughing on regardless. There doesn't seem to be any complaints about the randomness of missing various players um, because we all accept that we're in a situation that's completely artificial. But, but I mean, it is just a dose of reality when we're stuck in those bubbles that, that remind you that the, these are difficult and, and diff, you know, different times. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you just, we keep ploughing on in the hope that, that the uh, coronavirus doesn't get a, a bigger grip anymore and it remains sort of 16 failed tests uh, domestically while while everyone was away and doesn't start climbing any higher than that. Yeah. Don't think I mean, going to your brother's yeah. wedding there with 800 guests is the most sensible thing to do in the current climate, do you? No, no. That's the I'm referring to, obviously. It, it, do, it, does, it does make your question, Jezza, though, doesn't it? It does make your question kind of, you know, we've got these different protocols. We've got these different, you know, dare I say it, standards. And I don't want to sort of kind of sound, you know, in any way disparaging about, you, you know, but, you know, Egypt, they've got seven days isolation compared to our 10, you know, for, for elite sport. So, you know, it, you, when you've got dan- different protocols, you've got, Dangers, haven't you, in there? You've got dangers with the travel, of course, you know, quite apart from that. There's, That's the issue, facility. Johnny said, isn't it? You, you, you're getting teams coming together in their own separate bubbles, but mixing with playing against other teams that have come from a different part of the world. So, listen, how do you police that? I mean, you either say, right, there's going to be no international football for obvious reasons, just to play it really safe, or you take that risk, and that's what the authorities have chosen to do. So, you know, you've had games played all over the world. You've had Cristiano Ronaldo miss loads of games because he got the COVID. It, it, no one escapes it. I just think no. that some players, you know, do players swap shirts after the game? I saw Phil Foden last night. An Icelandic player went up to him mm. and asked for his shirt and um, he basically brushed him off as if to say, no, mate, I'm not swapping shirts. I mean, I'm thinking, well, fair play to you because that's the last thing you want to do, isn't it, really? Yeah. But, yes, you know, just the little things you forget about that, yeah. Can't all contribute to this unholy mess that we, we've been in and still find ourselves in. 
Yeah, I know. I thought that was noticeable. I mean, sort of Gareth Bale was talking about it this week, wasn't he? Yeah. And kind of Gareth Bale was was talking about his sort of fears, you know, uh, having sort of kind of come into contact with Matt Doherty, of course. <laughs> and there's that picture of them and sort of in an embrace. I mean, it's 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 a really difficult one, isn't it? It's it's mm. like a big chain, isn't it? You know, yeah. we're all linked together by this evil virus in one way or another, and footballers are right at the forefront of it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, John, I think what's I think what's remarkable, and I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, is the way the football is just determined to plough on regardless. Mm-hmm. You know, every competition, you know, every competition is getting played in its entirety. You know, you know, you know, lower league teams are still playing in the what, what's it called now? The the, the football league trophy is it the Papa John's trophy? Papa or, John's, yeah, yes. Papa John's. The Papa John's trophy is going ahead. I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, I mean, everything is just ploughing on Fresh and ingredients. on. And on. And they, yes, and they just, just want a piece of the action, though, don't they? So, <laughs> I'll, I'll set them up, lads. You just, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we don't get three pieces out of this, lads. Come on, <laughs> I'm trying to desperately think what, but um, other pieces are available. So, uh, so, but yeah, but it's a domino effect. But you know, the thing is, it is, is uh, and they are just determined to plough on. You know, with every single competition that includes international competition, European competition, domestic competitions. So it's going to happen, you, you, you know. It's it's going. You're going to get more positive tests. That's just that's just you know yeah. that's just what's going to happen. We know it increases, you know, as the, as with the onset of winter. So you know, footballers are, are no different from from us, you, you know, from from a man and woman in the street. So we're going to see that. It's just a question if football continues just to say right, okay, well, we're just carrying on. And you know, if you've if you've got it and you have to you know isolate and miss games, then then toughen it. And if you happen to have five or six players that. I've got it. Then just you just got to crack on. You know, it's it, it's as simple as simple as that. And um, and that's why I don't think you get anyone complaining about the situation because it's just going to be, well, you know, an element of fortune to it on on how they badly they are affected by it. Yeah, I do think it highlights the fact, Jesse, doesn't it? That the, the project restart and, and indeed the Premier League this season has done incredibly well as Andy done. You know, Andy there says before. I mean, it's just. You know, it's it's a remarkable triumph in many ways, isn't it? And it's only because we've broken the bubble, if you like, a little bit. Yeah, look, look, there's been there's been setbacks. There's no questioning that, but there have been minor ones in the whole scheme of things. So, football's led the way, really. I mean, since June, when it came back, it gave the nation a lift, didn't it? We all loved having the games back, albeit mm. behind closed doors without fans. And you have to say, it has been a, a huge success. Um, you know, obviously there, there is an impact. We've seen players getting injured and that is probably related to the circumstances of the mm-hmm. season and the COVID and everything. But, you know, that's what people argue. That's probably a small price to pay yeah. for being able to watch two or three games of football a week. So, and yeah. I would probably agree with that, really. Yeah. Just, just quickly, sorry, cool. John, if I could just interject, just a point there that, that, that catches uh, my attention is, have... Has anyone actually seen this business about the injuries? Mm-hmm. Has anyone seen a study to, to 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 definitively say there are more injuries now after eight games of a Premier League season or wherever it is compared to previous seasons? You know, to me at the moment it just seems like anecdotal. Someone gets injured, or that's because they're playing too many games. I don't I think know. There's a report. There's a report that isn't there. There's an increase in muscular injuries. Forty percent has been in the early thing, something like that. Yeah. But there is but actually I mean, a, a definitive study that says yes, there are, there are more injuries this season. I think they 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 reckon that they they have plotted more injuries than mm. you'd expect. Right. You've also got to take into account there's the COVID players are missing because of COVID. I mean, obviously, mm. 
Salah, I know it's a slight different mm. from the injury situation, but there are players missing because of COVID, yeah. like Salah's yeah. now going to miss three games, Doherty probably the same, and many yeah. as well. So, mm. you know, you're always, while ever COVID's still in on the planet, you're always going to have that yeah. issue. Yeah, it does yeah. raise the question, and, and, and listen, you know, the... the, the uh, you know, the, there was a Premier League managers meeting yesterday, and 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 you know, it's it's firmly back on the agenda. I mean, the managers, I think, are overwhelmingly in favour of the of, of the five subs across across the uh, across the you know twenty teams, but that doesn't necessarily mean the, the hierarchies, you know, of their it's particular a club decision, team. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it, it's got to come back to that. But also, mm-hmm. should we midway through? You know, whenever it might be, when it's back on the agenda and if it's voted on again, should we reintroduce a system which fundamentally changes the game midway through the course of a campaign? No, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we should be blind to the fact that if it is dangerous to players, you do need to protect them as a number one priority. But it does go against the whole idea of fair play, Mm. um, you know, integrity of the competition everything else and I just hate the fact that it changes the game into a squad game where you start by fielding reduced teams uh, and then improve it as necessary yeah depending on how way the score goes it's just a different way of approaching the game and it's wrong that's exactly that so it's totally it's disingenuous for managers to say well you know it's it's for the physical safety of the players and that's all they keep saying when Tottenham Hotspur were 1-0 down against Royal Antwerp at half-time, did Jose Marino put on four players in one go because he was worried about the physical safety and well-being of his players? No, he put on four players because the eleven out, the, the 10 outfield players out there had stunk the place out in the first half. Um, an international team did it the other day. I can't remember who it was. It was, um, I think it was. I think it was Colombia. I think Carlos Quiros. Who's manager Columbia changed four and one. It'll, it's only a matter of time if it mm-hmm. comes back in before some smart Alec puts all five on in one go. Imagine someone like Manchester City with the sort of benches that you see them have put mm-hmm. on five attacking players in one hit. You just you put on a special team. It's you know it's American football, and that, that's the thing. If you could turn around and say, well, I'll tell you what, we'll get this five substitute rule in, but it's only for you can only do it for you know players who are injured or or something like that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You can't do that. That's not feasible. So mm-hmm. then the managers then will take advantage if if say I don't know. Let, let's say if I don't know a, a team at random, Sheffield United are one 0 up against one of the big six. Say they're one 0 up against against Manchester City um, or something like that. And then and there's twenty minutes to go. Is it fair then that Pep Guardiola could, in theory, say, for example, whoever he's got on the bench, say he's got Foden on the bench, say he's got Bernardo Silva on the bench, say he's got Gundogan on the bench, say he's mm. got Gabriel Jesus on the bench. And these are guys who are on the bench quite often. Mm. Is it fair that he can just put all five of them on at once? Andy, it's not just theory. No. I was at the lucky enough to be at the Norwich Man City game last season. Um, and... Uh, Pep started with Kevin De Bruyne on the bench. Mm. And Norwich famously went ahead um, in that game. And he brought um, De Bruyne on and single-handedly he virtually turned the game on its head and Norwich just squeaked out a 3-2 yes. win. If he brought De Bruyne on and a couple of other A-listers, yes. he would have turned that game around and Absolutely. we wouldn't have one of the great results, one of the great occasions of last season. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. It's funny, you, 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 Andy, you raised the thing about uh, American football. I kind of liken it to basketball, yeah. where it even feels like, you know, you kind of got the guys on the side of the pitch, they're on, on they're off, you know, that kind of rolling, yeah. rolling substitute feel. 
And it just feels, I, I totally take that point, and I do. And I think I think we've all been at games. I remember, I think it was Brighton-Liverpool back in the last season, a night match. Liverpool had already won the title, but they still wanted to carry on winning. And they were just able to flick a switch, basically, yes. with substitutes. And that feels that feels wrong if you've not done it from the start of the season. Exactly. What I would say, what I would say is, sure. don't we have an issue? Yeah. Are we not being blind to the injury factor? It, it, you know, if indeed we can prove, and I, I listen, I think it's obvious. It's it's so obvious that, that, that the muscle injuries are as a result of the greater stress and greater fatigue. Um, aren't we being blind to the safety and the welfare of the players? And isn't that just you know, isn't spitting hairs missing the point that we have to look after the players? Or am I being naive? Well, no, you're not being naive. I mean, as, as you know, you share the concerns of, of Premier League managers mm. that I don't. Um, is is you know, we're just disagreeing on that. I mean, listen, mm. I'll always go back. I, I always go back. I, I do week in, week out. Trot out the old stats about the Liverpool team that won the um, um, the title uh, in. The 19- game's changed, though. I'd say you see the, the, the game's yeah, but, changed. So it, it's, it, Oh, football's changed. Mm. Has it changed that yeah. much? Yeah. Last time I saw it, certainly in 1966, there was still 11 versus 11, a football, two goals, centre circle, touchdowns, and, and the aim was to get it in, into, you know, into each other's goals. I mean, yeah, physically it might have changed physically. I don't know. We don't mm. know, dude. But in 1966, well, what I would tell you is the Liverpool won the league title and got to the final of the European Cup Winners' Cup and played in the FA Cup and the League Cup. We weren't so successful in those. Well, played in all four competitions, the entire campaign, they used 14 players, one four players, not in one game, not in one half, in the entire, entire it, it, league. Okay, the game has changed, okay? But these, so it, it, it's like, you know, there is, what I would say, John, what I would say, I, th- I think the, the thing about this particular situation with the Fires of Real, I'm, I'm against it. I think I think that they've got big enough squads to rotate. Luke Shaw gets injured for Manchester United, and people are straight away saying, "Well, it's the demands on how much he's playing." Well, I'll tell you what, you've got Brandon Williams there, play him. You know, you've got other mm-hmm. options there. You, you've got you know, th- th- these teams have a cast of thousands. Look at Manchester United c- complain about fixture congestion and whatever, but they've got players who are just not playing. They're paying 150 grand a week to to Igarlo. Mm-hmm. Where is he? Yeah. You know, where's Phil Jones? Where, where, where are these guys? Where's Jesse Lingard? They've got enough players to rotate, and that's why Liverpool will keep on winning games because the squad's strong enough. The one caveat that I would say, the one thing that probably undermines my entire arguments and those who are against it, the one thing that undermines it is the fact that we are out on a limb. I mean, to excuse the pun, we are out on a limb in the sense that every other major league in Europe and internationally and in the Champions League and in the Europa League entitle you to five substitutions. And I just think that... That is, I mean, that just stands out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? You know, we yeah. we are out on, we, I don't know whether we anticipate or not, but we are on our own. And I do think that the regulations of football should be across the board. So the substitute rule should be across the board in all of football. The, I, it feels, it feels on crazy that, to me that basically mm. you have different rules yeah, for the same club. But, but hang on, gents. Uh, yeah, on that score, we've got a far better league than every other club. Every other country <laughs> in Europe, which which claim there, Danny. Well, no, because it's competitive. It's more competitive, which is what broadcasters yeah. are prepared to pay for. Which is why Premier League clubs have so much more money than. No one's saying that we should give our money away to the rest of Europe <laughs> to level it up. I mean, it's all part and parcel. If you're going to have a competitive Premier League, the broadcasters want to show. 
then you can't be having these five substitutes. That's why they get the big money, which gives them more chance to build squads that can cope with not having five substitutes. They won that competitive last year, though, oh, yeah. it? You got in before me, Jazz. Yeah, I'm talking so. about individual matches, not, not yeah, the actual yeah, competition. The other, yeah. the other thing, Crossy, is I, I was. At, I know I said this before a few weeks ago, but the other, I was at the Liverpool Man City game before the international break. Yeah, and yeah. Um, Pep Guardiola made one change in that game. Mm-hmm. He had the option of making three changes. He made yeah. one. Yeah. They were on top in the second half. They were going for the win. So, look, whether you are for or against it, we all clearly get the feeling that managers are pushing hard for the rule to be changed in the middle of a season, which I disagree with. Yeah, They have an argument for it. But they're not. They're not. If they were making three subs after an hour every game... Say I'm protecting my players. They would have an argument, but when you see, yeah. mm-hmm. see him making one or two changes, not even using the full allocation of three subs, it makes you think. Well, hang on a minute. They, they these these managers are moaning about are moaning about the international fixture list, and I get that because everything's everyone's selfish in this game. But mm. the clubs of this world and the Guardiola's they're they're, they're picking this they're, they're roughly the same teams. On a, yes. on a weekly basis and flogging their own players to death so you can't you can't then moan at Southgate for doing the same thing with people like Harry Kane and, yeah. and Harry Maguire and whoever can you? No, no you can't no you can't guys I'm going to move it on to this weekend uh, we've got yeah. some super games um, uh, you know where should where should we start I'll tell you where we'll start we'll start in chronological order because Tottenham City is on Saturday Saturday tea time really and th- this intrigues me guys because I for one think that it, you know, we've got the most open Premier League for for years. Whether you're talking relegation battle, whether you're talking battle for Champions League, or indeed the you know race for the title, does that open the door for Tottenham? And indeed, you know, if that being the case, is this a bit of an acid test for Jose Mourinho against Pep Guardiola's team? Who wants to take this? It would have been it would have been two years ago because City were. You know, they were head and shoulders above every other team, but obviously things have changed since then. They're still a wonderful side, don't get me wrong. And if I had, a, like Dunny always says, if you had 30, 40 quid to spend on going to watch any team in the country, you'd always pick City because they play the greatest football. Um, that doesn't mean say they're the greatest team, though. Mm. And they have been patchy this season, you know. Mm. He finally thinks, he, Guardiola finally thinks that he's solved his defensive um, problem um, with his new sign and he's set, he has and he's settling in um, quite well. Um, and they, they are still a formidable outfit with, with a wonderful squad, but for some reason they don't they don't have that fear factor that they used to do um, no. when they won the last one, the league title, with that remarkable finish to the season. So, you know, it's a tough game to call. Yeah. Normally you would say City probably win it. 2-1, 3-1. But Tottenham have become very resilient this season under um, Mourinho. I think we've lost one in the last 14 games. So there's more substance to that team um, than there has been in previous years where they're flattered to deceive. I know they got to the Champions League final, but they've always been the, the bridesmaid and not the bride. But So, you know, that, you look at that game and you think, well, I don't want to pick a winner, really. You know, Tottenham are so hard to beat, but yet City can, if they turn it on, they can... Um, there can be anyone on the day, but I tell you what, if, if Tottenham get a win, get a win at the weekend, you've got to seriously start taking notes of Tottenham as if to say, look, why why can't they win the title? As opposed to why 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 they can and the reasons for them not being able to win the title are probably diminishing. Yeah. Matt, are they title contenders? Oh, I went quite strong on that last week. I think they're very strong title contenders. Um, what I would say about this game 
is that if Pep needs to give his players any motivation, he could just play the team talk that Mourinho was giving in the dressing room uh, ahead of this in this fixture last year, which was on Amazon Prime, um, when he went through what, quite some of the names he was calling those City players. I Glad think that would give them all the uh, motivation they need. So with that in mind... Reminders, uh, reminders. I, don't, I can't I remember don't that. I think this is that sort of programme. No, uh, uh, <laughs> paraphrase it for us. We've got a bleep machine. No, he explained tell to us, them... Tell us, tell us, go on, he, paraphrase. He, he, he told the Tottenham players at half-time just what nasty people the Manchester City players were. Oh, yes, he did, yes. Words that, that uh, certainly I would never use. Um, the foulest words you can use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and told them that, that that's what Manchester City were. And... Uh, 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 and they had to be the same if they wanted to compete with them. Um, so bear in mind, that if that's what he thinks of Manchester City players, they're not going to want to show uh, him anything else but that. So if Spurs can come through this bear, with all that history, I think it's a, then a more resilient yeah. Spurs that, than, than we're perhaps giving them credit for. Uh, and I think that, as Jeremy said, you, you then start looking at it on the other side and think, well, hang on a sec, why? Yeah, they've got... Kane, Son and Bale as their front three if they want it. Um, they've got other players in reserve. They, you know, they've got a, a deep, you know, a World Cup winning goalkeeper. You know, the, there's not a lot wrong with that first team or that squad that says that they can't at least challenge Liverpool for the title this year and be challengers if not actually win it. Mm. On, on, this, on, this, on this individual fixture, John, I think, you know, for, for spare, stay in the game early on. Is key to it. I think you know a lot is said about City's defence, um, not least not least from myself actually over the last couple of seasons and on how costly it's been, and how costly it will continue to be. However, this season, you know, I've been to a couple of City games where the pattern has been the same, where basically they've been on top, um, and when they get into that um, final third, as they do very often, they're not as clinical. They're not picking the right options. They're not scoring as many goals. It's as simple as that. You know, where we saw it in. For example, uh, Ellen Road when when they played Leeds, you know, and they, and they blew Leeds off the park essentially in the first twenty five minutes, but only had one goal to show for it, you know, and in the end didn't win the game. Um, and probably you could say that they were probably the better team against Liverpool, you know, and only scored the one goal. Um, that ironically, with the issue with Aguero and obviously Jesus has been injured, and the likes of Sterling is it doesn't look as though he's going to be as prolific as he has been in previous mm. seasons. He, he may prove me wrong. The goals aren't, you know, the goals aren't coming as um, regularly from midfield as they have done in the past. And I think that if you can frustrate City early on, the first 20, first 25, first 30, then you've got a chance, as you say, with that attack and talent that Matt um, outlines there, Spurs, Spurs have got a chance. Yeah. Jez, uh, I just want to have a look at another game, Liverpool-Leicester. Uh, uh, it feels like a bit of a similar question, really, about Leicester uh, as it was about Spurs. Are they the real deal under Brendan Rodgers? Does this kind of, you know, do their does their early flourish bring back memories of twenty sixteen five hundred to one? Higher, I think actually. Look, if Leicester went on to win the title this season, it wouldn't be anywhere close to being the same shock as it was, you know, several years ago under Ranieri. But it's don't get me wrong; it still would be a, it still would be quite a story. But look, they're they're a great. They bring so much to the Premier League out the Leicester. They're wonderful to watch. They destroy teams on the break. Um, is it is it too soon to be judging them? I think it is. I was looking at the fixtures they've played this morning and they've not had any really, really big tests. They played, the one big test they had was City away and they got demolished 5-2. So, you know, 
was that an off day perhaps because the form's been very consistent I think I've said this before they rely too much on Vardy for goals as wonderful as he is the guy's in his 30s will he pick up injuries will he, will he, will he run out of steam towards the end of the season I know he's a bit of a freak of nature Jamie Vardy but you know that axis with him and Madison is crucial to their progress um, they will go to Anfield full of confidence look they will go there trying to win the game they won't go there and try and get a point Mm. Um, Liverpool have been decimated obviously by injuries and um, now Salah's going to be missing through Covid so they're vulnerable at the minute Liverpool um, and it's a wonderful chance for, for, for Leicester to put down a marker mm. Andy uh, you know that 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 City uh, City Leicester game was something else wasn't it I mean you know Leicester absolutely fearless on the break and Harvey Barnes was great that day wasn't mm. he as well and you know I mean that, that <laughs> does Brendan Rodgers go to Anfield with the same approach well, what they did that day, I was at that game, John, and what they did in that victory was, 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 was again, City absolutely battered them early on. I mean, you yeah. know, we're all over them. and You can only see one outcome. And if you remember, it sort of brings back echoes of, uh, of Roy Keane because um, having scored City, they then, Carl Walker then gave away a rather needless penalty with a rather rash challenge. Mm. Um, on Jamie Vardy um, and Leicester scored and the rest, of course, is, is history. They won 5-2. And everything they 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 touched turned to gold. You know, I remember James Madison. I think scored a worldie late on. But anyway, it, it was it was a five two. You, you actually you know you looked at it in the same way as Villa seven, um, Liverpool two. It yeah. looked like it felt like a freak result. However, what they did, what was interesting, what they did, and you say, well, will he go for it? No, what he'll do probably is exactly the same as he did at the Etihad, which is. They conceded um, early on, Leicester, which you would have thought would have scuppered their game plans, but it didn't. They they still sat back. They sat back on a on, on a one goal deficit. You know they are actually they played deep on a one goal deficit. You thought to yourself, well, you know, you're going to have to come out and try and get this back, but they didn't. It was just patience. It was I think the, the, the and then they broke away. I think it was probably about half an hour. Um, the, the 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 equaliser, and and they got it, and it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. I think in that game. Again, I stand to be corrected, but I think the stats were something like 70-30 in terms of possession. I think Leicester had 30% possession and scored five goals. It was remarkable. And that is the sort of thing that he'll be doing in Anfield. Listen, he won't be going gung-go around Anfield, even though, you know, if you think Liverpool are without defensively, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe Gomez, obviously Virgil van Dijk, you know they are stretched there. You know Fabinho's not going to be available. They are they are stretched, but still he will just uh, Rogers will go. He'll go with, with with you know basically what he did at City, which was like a bank of four and five. Vardy up top, looking for the break um, and seeing if they can get something that way. Matt, you've obviously said that Tottenham are going to win the title by an absolute streak. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> unless they're going to be their closest, unless they're going to be their closest challenges. A bit of quotes improvement there, I think. Um, <laughs> bit of gravy. Um, no, no, that's the most his challenges. Um, I, I think it's remarkable that they're contending again. Um, and all, pro- I mean, you probably wouldn't see it this way, but I think Brendan Rodgers has got a lot to do with it, Crossy. Uh, I know you're not a very big fan of Brendan Rodgers. Um, <laughs> Let's just but, make this clear. I'm his number one fan. I'm secretary. <laughs> found a member of I was going to say, you hardly ever mention it, to be fair. Um, but no, it's remarkable they're close, but for all the limitations they've got, they're, they're a great counter-attacking side against the big clubs uh, and they remarkable achievement in getting results. Um, and also, uh, having seen them uh, with that 9-0 at Southampton, 
you you realize that they that they can be relentless when they've got the the taste for it uh, and some can play some pretty amazing football um when they want to um but that said the strength and depth issue is going to hold them back and it's going to be um it's it's going to be Liverpool City and Spurs I think in the mix up for that top three places with Leicester see must see as a success if they can finish in the top four you don't see United um no not over a course no. of the season I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets too many things wrong um mm. and there's too many liabilities in his defence still mm. um I, I, they can't contend for the title I mean they've got it they also should be beating Leicester to a top four position with, with their the the um, what they've got available, but uh, but no, I don't see them challenging for the title yet. No, mm. Crossy, can mm. I just ask you um, if you were Ed Woodward and you were thinking of replacing Solskjaer, would you would you go for Rogers? Would he be on your shortlist? He, well, I feel he should be, but I think that you've always got this obstacle to overcome to to you know to appoint a former Liverpool manager, because whichever way you look at it. I, you know, you could argue that basically, uh, you know, slightly different, you know, replacing mm. a sort of kind of almost a Liverpool legend, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Basically, and Brendan Rodgers, I think, you know, did an incredible job to take them within an, an inch of the title that season. But I just feel that that, that basically now in any any big club, because of style, because of because of the way that he plays and the brand of football and his progressive and and his and you know his coaching ability. I think he should be in the frame for any major job. But I just think because of that Liverpool-Man United connection, it would probably make, you know, not top of your list. Whereas I think other other clubs would probably make him top of the list. I think I think Pochettino, you know, who basically is a year out, a year out, you know, it's a year on, isn't it, today? I mean, it, feel, it feels like we, you know, there's so much love for Pochettino. And please don't get me wrong, I'm one of these guys that buys into it. It feels like, you know, this is kind of, we should have some sort of, you know, ceremony today to mark the passing of a year, you know, without Pochettino in our lives. <laughs> the love is so great amongst newspaper reporters, against social media, against, you know, sort of online. Absolutely everyone loves Poch and he's fantastic. And, you know, maybe we should all try and get over to Argentina have some sort of you know some sort of thing outside his house please come back part miss you so much I mean it's, it's getting I looked at it this morning I guess out of hand you know Mirror Football our lovable website and Twitter feed has already posted about 27 tweets by the time we started the show saying please come join us you know Pochettino uh, we miss you so much I mean it's just, you know I just think he's I I, I do think that Pochettino is, is, is maybe an easier fit for United if it's too difficult to get the United job then for Brendan he'll just have to settle for being the next England manager only after Southgate yeah of course yes absolutely or <laughs> <laughs> Real Madrid perhaps yeah. I think it's just or both Absolutely, part-time, he's that good. Just a quick one, I guess there's a difference between taking a a former Liverpool manager and, you know, a a former Liverpool manager who might be a bit embittered by how he... Yeah, 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 he's got maybe a point to prove. No, that's a fair point, that is a fair point. I I, I, I don't know, you know, going back to the original point, you know, is Solskjaer... You know, do, do, do we think that Solskjaer's going to finish the, the finish the season at United? That's the that's the point. What do we think? I don't Hi. personally. I just think they're so inconsistent with results. Mm. You can't keep. Look, he has this 
unnerving ability to get a big win when he needs yeah, one. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. one at Everton before yeah, the international did. break when everyone was saying, lose there and you, that's it, mate, you're going to get the bullet. Mm. Look, that's all well and good. But that the job of a Manchester United manager is not just to survive, like what his mm. Solskjaer is currently doing and has been doing for probably a year. It's not yeah. just to survive with the odd great result. It's to thrive and show progression and show that you're building a team that's going to go on challenge for the title and they're still so far off the title yeah. challenge United. That's the that's the long term. If I was Ed Woodward, I'd be looking at it and thinking, okay, he's, he's been in charge for a long time now, really, and we've not seen enough progress to justify his keeping him. And it, it, it's funny, just in, in the here and now, if we're looking ahead to the weekend's fixtures, I mean, that one is Manchester United versus West Bromwich Albion on um, Saturday night. Mm. It's just like, you know, I, in, in many ways, it's possibly the worst possible fixture for, for Solskjaer to have because, listen, they've got to win that game. That game, if you, it, it, on bear in mind, their home Premier League form has been little short of disastrous this season. Mm. If he loses a home to West Brom, I mean, that in itself, you, you know, I mean, would be... You would have you seen West Brom? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I have seen West Brom. Yeah. No, please don't get me wrong. I'd slam and Billy. He isn't far, isn't far off. He's, he isn't far off. My my my. You know, being in my, you know, wonderful managers who actually you're love and adore. Great managers. I, I, yeah. I just feel he's not being backed. I just feel I feel really sorry for him. I did. You know, West Brom. Well, I understand the difficulties think, for a newly promoted yeah. club in in a pandemic, but I just think that basically they've been so. Cool, no, I, I, so agree. I can't see it. I, I I agree to a certain extent, mind you. I did see I, I did see I did see them against um, uh, Chelsea at the Hawthorne. So you mm. know, um, which for the first certainly for the first <laughs> first half was, was was quite sensational. No, but you know what, you know what I'm saying about yeah, United is yeah. they haven't been beaten at home by Crystal Palace, haven't been beaten at home by um, even more surprisingly probably Arsenal. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, well that's true. But their record against big six teams away from home that was their first. First winner of a big six team, you know, I don't know, since since whenever, since time immemorial. But um, I do think that, that, that that's a game, you, you know, the, the sort of one-off game. You know, if Solskjaer loses games sort of closely against big teams, then, you know, he's still... But, but if they weren't to beat West Brom on Saturday night, then all of a sudden, straight away, and you're going to have this all season. That's what, what Jeremy's saying. It, it, is You know, you can't just be having the odd good result and then all of a sudden you're back into a situation where everyone's saying, you know, should Ollie go when when they get beat home to Palace or or, or whatever the poor result is, they mm-hmm. get it home. So yeah. it's um, you know, it's he needs you know a convincing win on Saturday night and a couple on the spin to to, to ease it. But everyone you hear, I mean, there's been a, 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 another recent statement from Woodward saying, you know, they are quite happy with the direction that, that Ollie's taking them in. Yeah, I just, I just before we finish on a bit of mm. fun, I just want to touch on the kind of one other serious issue, you know, which is the topic again this week about the fans back in stadiums. I mean, guys, we all miss fans so much, and I don't, you know, it's, it's so easy to sound blase when you say that, mm. but they're the heartbeat of football, basically, on and off the pitch. Football is not the same without them. Having said that, can we justify kind of talk of you know uh, crowd experiments next month? when the debate on the front pages is having, you know, gatherings at, at Christmas of 10 people could put back, you know, kind of, you know, restrictions or yeah. end up extending restrictions for another five weeks. Can we morally justify it? And when I say that, I mean, you know, the safety of the fans as well. Well, no, no I mean, it's a simple answer. John. I, I, 
it is that that sort of juxtaposition of oh, you know, Boris Johnson saying, you know, I want to get sports stadiums open. Oliver Dowden, I think, is doing rounds probably as we speak um, of the electronic media, probably saying the same thing. And then, and as you say, you read this idea, this story that oh, well, if we have you know four days of Christmas of, of relative normality, we we need to pay it back with a month of lockdown. And mm. you know, you just. The comes to town, listen, we all want funds back. It goes, goes without saying, you know, and, and clubs are desperate for them to be back. Mm. Lower league clubs are desperate for them to be back for purely for financial reasons, you know, if, if nothing else. But it's just it's just incongruous to have this idea that, that, that you know, that the country is going to be on even stricter lockdown, yet you're trying to get, you know, 5,000 people back into Anfield or whatever, Gleason Park mm. or Old Trafford. It just, it just, as I say, it just jars, basically, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it, it, it's as simple as that. I think it's inappropriate I'm not saying it's talking safe. about it because, you know, you look at the, it's been another grim week in it for the death toll, which is rising mm. steadily again. I mean, it's up over 500 people a day now again, which is heading towards the figures in, in, in April and May. And I just, I just find it really mm. tasteless that we're talking about or yeah. reading or writing or thinking about, yeah. you know, getting a thousand fans back in certain tiered places of the country when all these families are just being, Having their lives ripped apart. Absolutely, I, I, I think we I think we can have a debate about it. But when I yeah. see when I see politicians, you know, sometimes I feel like they're trying to score cheap points with with talking about getting fans back in. That that's what that's what upset, that upsets me because I don't think the reality is that we can talk about t- you know relating to tears system. Yeah. You know, but I, I think, don't know whether that's fair. I mean, I mean, it's interesting what what would be the reaction. You know, clubs are obviously desperate to get fans back in. Of course. I, I, I actually, you know, I just don't know. I wonder if right now, in the current climate, in the current situation with the current restrictions, I wonder if fans are desperate to get back in. Mm. It's an interesting, an interesting study. Now, listen, I'm not saying I'm not comparing us to, to what's happening there, but there was an interesting study in the states um, this week, which suggested that um, something like forty percent of regular um, fans who attend sporting matches, whether it be basketball, baseball, mm-hmm. American football, 40% of fans who regularly attended pre-COVID would not attend again until a vaccine is found and is and, and, and has been distributed um, and, and everyone's had the vaccine. It's a very interesting point, you know, is, is, it, is, is we say as though it's a given, the fans can't wait to get back into the stadium. But while... The pandemic is still out there, and while, as Jeremy says, while well, 500 people are dying per day, I'm, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they actually want to come back. One thing, one thing, I'll be very brief. One thing is for mm-hmm. sure, though, we just can't go from zero fans to yeah. 72,000 inside yeah. Old Trafford. You know, we can't suddenly flick a switch one day and say, right, come on, lads, everyone and girls, everyone get back. 72,000 inside Old Trafford. You know, queue for your pies here, get a beer and whatever, mill around in the concourses. It's going to have to be structured. It's going to have to start with. With, with you staggered, know 10%, yeah. 20%, and staggered mm. up till that, and that's going to be a long time. I mean, can you, could any of us actually, even now, sort of, you know, sit here and envision the time when we are going to be in the stadium with 72,000 other people? It's very, very hard to actually envision that time, isn't it? No, it's interesting, it's Crossy, because there, there was some rugby league, um, there's a big rugby league series mm. on uh, state of origin, yeah, it was the, the deciding game actually, um, between New South Wales and Queensland in Sydney on Wednesday morning. With fifty odd thousand people in yeah. that stadium, yeah, yeah. So you just you just saw it. And it looked really odd to see a virtually yeah. full stadium. Yeah. And then you started thinking, well, clearly that that's a country which has, has had similar circumstances to the rest of the world. 
Their government's clearly handled it far better than our government has. And they're in a far more advanced position and safer position having sporting events, but, you know, with, yeah. with mm. large crowds back in. And it was, it, while it was great to see, it was also depressing to see yeah. because you, you thought back to what our circumstances are and you think, God, it's going to be ages before you see a full stadium mm. again. Yeah, I know that's uh, that's shocking. I hadn't seen that. That's amazing, actually. Yeah, to, to be honest, you know, the, the very very notion Rugby of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is that? What is that? It's played the state of origin. Ball, John. It's, you, oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's you know it's a proper proper <laughs> game for proper man. I'm <laughs> only joking, um, uh, guys. Just to finish, I loved the book chat last week, so I'm going to go around the <laughs> around the virtual room, if I may, um, and, a, and a and a subject. It's been England Week, mm. International Week. So we miss trips so much, don't we? Really, you know, uh, you know, there's very limited countries. We do, we still will go where it's possible, but very limited trips where we can go. So I just want I want to go around the virtual room, please, and ask you to recall your favourite England trip, please, and and reasons why. Andy, I start with you. Well, I, I tell you what, I'm going to go for. Obviously, we, we've all got loads and loads of these, whether it be tournaments, etc. But for the one-off trip, I mean, I can't go any further than. Um, than Munich, um, two thousand one, September two thousand one, and the five one, the five one win. Um, I, only because you know, I was, it, it, that day I was I was walking um, in the afternoon on the streets of Munich with Steve Howard, um, and Steve Howard says to me, he, he used to work for the Sun and obviously retired now, and we passed the tobacconists and he said, "Come on, let's, let's go in here." So what for? He said, "I'm going to buy two of the of their finest cigars." So he showed him into the humidor and he asked, well, what are you buying these for? He says, when England score their fifth tonight, I'm going to light one up in the press box. And I just say, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, sure, sure enough, I, then I'll fast forward it to when the fifth went in and there was Lord Howard barking <laughs> huge passing it for me and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget and at the moment it stayed with me. I remember... I remember Sven actually, oh, I, I think, I, I certainly wasn't one of them, but I think he got applauded into the press conference, something that we always frown at when foreign journalists do it. You know, we absolutely can't stand it. And uh, and then and then we went out and it was a restaurant in Munich, a bar called, I think it was called Cafe Roma. And needless to say, the night went on and on and on, and I'm not sure everyone made their, their flight the next morning. It's just a, just a great night. Well, Fair enough, Jamie Carrigan is his new book. Um, relives, goes through some old games, and he actually goes through that 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 particular game. You know, and it turns out we didn't play great. <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, it turns out that like you know, it was not a lucky five-one, but you know, basically everything that could go right went right. So I remember that because I remember when I remember Germany missing all sorts of chances, and then of course Gerald scored just before half time. So I'll go for that. That's my, that, that, out of them all. That as a one-off was just a great night. Yeah, fantastic, Jezza. Well, I've got a couple what, couple of couple of trips really. Obviously, we all, we all remember the World Cup in Russia um, yeah. <laughs> for, for obvious reasons. But for, the standout moment of that trip for me was when we beat Colombia on penalties. Mm. So I don't know if you remember, but when Yerry Mina equalised in the last minute, all the Colombian journalists were up j- jumping around, <laughs> slamming their fists on the desk, thinking we're going to win. We were thinking, oh no, here we go, extra time penalties, we're going to lose. Absolute nightmare. I don't know. I've never been as wound up in a press box. You obviously try and remain neutral, don't you? I've never wanted England to win as much, especially when it went to penalties. And obviously, we won the penalty shootout. There was that famous footage of Southgate going up over to the fans and sort of really releasing all his emotions. Yes. Yeah. 
obviously first penalty shootout win in years and years or a knockout win actually um, since what 2006 I think it is so it was a real seminal moment and um, that was that, that I always remember yeah. that one from all those that was a great trip to, to Russia but <laughs> from a personal point of view my favourite trip was Brazil although in, on the flip side England were absolutely shocking that World Cup in 2014 <laughs> but I had some great times on Copacabana Beach <laughs> <laughs> Matt uh, well, my standout trip, the trip like no others I've ever been on with England or anyone, has to be the 2006 World Cup uh, when I followed events from a caravan. Um, <laughs> the caravan of love. It was, uh, we, I was dubbed caravan uh, by my editor the, the, of the day, um, put in the world's smallest caravan, um, ferry from Hull to Rotterdam, uh, bumped into Paul Robinson's family on the ferry and ended up playing bingo with them. Um, uh, the advantage was I could fit a set of golf clubs in the in the back, so on off days uh, I could I, I tended to find campsites right next to golf courses somehow. Um, but looking uh, Park, yeah, that was on the off day. The old off days, I didn't get many off days. Although England, England had the decency to go out nice and early again against Portugal. So day after that, I got a game, which which was good. Um, but uh, but then yeah, parking literally next to the stadium in Stuttgart for the Ecuador game, which was the the best commute for a match day. Uh, and then having been stuck in uh, some backward places doing training camps during the the World Cup, finally sort of people recognising me as I drove out of one campsite where I'd been for three or four days, and it was nice. All the locals were waving to me. They kind of I thought oh, I've made a bit of an impression here. And so I started waving back before they started waving more frantically. And I'd realised I'd left my electric lead plugged in and I was training a 50-yard lead. <laughs> and they were worried I was going to kill somebody. But, uh, but yes, no, that was the weirdest trip I've ever been on. And, and as time goes by, I've um, thought of it a lot more fondly than perhaps I did at the time. Just ironically, Matt, um, there's another podcast out there somewhere where I... I talk about I relive um, 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 the Baden Baden. In contrast, I was staying in the same hotel as the Wags, the luxury hotel Baden Baden in Brenner's Park, and that was one of the most surreal experiences. But we haven't got time here. We while you were in your caravan, we were in the luxury having cocktails <laughs> with, with with posh spice and Cheryl Cole and and and. and, and, and and I was playing golf with Jamie Carragher's dad because the Carragher's were staying in a bed and breakfast down the road, the House of Scouts, as we used to call it. And I remember playing on a posh golf course with Jamie Carragher's um, dad and it started raining. We were playing in skins with no, no tops on. And it was just one of the most surreal experiences out there um, in Barton Barton. But anyway, your caravan sounds good as well, mate. Like I say, with time, it, I think of it more fondly. Yeah. When I kept pumping into you guys at press conferences and hearing yeah. your stories and going back to my beans on toast, that one, it wasn't quite so good. <laughs> Tins of Frankfurters. Well, I, 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 I judge every, you know, every England jaunt really by 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 the uh, by the England press team really. So, you know, the miracle of Warsaw when we somehow managed to scrape a, you know, in the glory days of playing the England, you know, the England press team playing, um, <laughs> somehow managed to scrape a one-one draw, and then basically also in Kazakhstan when when comically the the, the, the press game was broadcast live on local TV and had a cl- classic moment of a ball being yeah chipped into the, into the into the England press team penalty box and I was in goal 
and basically came out for the ball. Didn't really <laughs> call for it, nor did Henry Winter. Henry then <laughs> Henry then heads it, and and the commentary went along the lines of cross Winter Winter cross. And the ball, unfortunately, <laughs> rather comically ended up in the net with neither of us getting there. <laughs> You've got to be able to laugh at yourselves, really. No, that's an amazing, amazing trip, really, sort of down the years with um, with, with England. And I do think with, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, the, the, the best experience I've had with England was 2018 World Cup, really. Yeah. And I do think it makes you think sometimes, I think the last week or so, we've seen a little bit of criticism of Gareth Southgate, not much. I have to say, I rail against the idea that we, you know, the, the, the right. tide is turned. I don't believe that for a second, but it does make you think. Boy, me, you know, yeah. just look at where we've where we've been in the past and where where we come to. So, yeah. so you'll find me staunchly behind Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I, I remember the darts being a particular highlight, Crossy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> not not least because of, you know, not least because he introduced darts, which led to my humiliation of not managing to get a single dart. When I was playing uh, John Stones, <laughs> John Stone. oh, yeah. that was John Stone. That was John Stone's last great triumph, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> board once. I've got it one on live TV. Eh, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I'm a Harry Kane winner. Remember that? Yeah, it was like we quickly merged into into Gary Cahill interview afterwards, and Gary Cahill just. You know, basically, I think kicked off the interview by sort of saying to me, "Did I hear right? You, you're not even hit the board." <laughs> it was great. The level, uh, the table tennis standard was high, though, wasn't it? Oh. Table tennis, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we, we had to call it me. And, I played Charlie Sale, the legendary diarist of the Daily Mail. Believe you me, if they if they'd allowed it, we'd still be going on now. We had to call it quits in our 30s because neither could find a two-two shot winning margin. It was comical. Anyway, guys, I've taken up enough. I've taken up enough of everyone's time, really, self-indulgent sporting memories, really. But um, guys, no, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Been a really interesting, interesting um uh, couple of weeks to look back upon internationally and also look forward to this weekend guys andy jeremy matt thanks so much for your company really enjoyed it hope you've all enjoyed it as well thanks so much for joining us we'll see you at the same time same place next week <laughs>